Hi, this is 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. It seems each of us knows someone who has cancer, is in recovery from cancer, or has died from cancer. Near the start of this year, we ran a podcast episode called Providers, Your Language May Have More Power Than You Realize. That episode begins with a recollection from a woman with cancer about an important conversation she had with her provider, a surgeon. Now, I didn't mention it in the episode, but that woman's name is Nancy. She said I could tell you. Nancy allowed me to interview her at length about her thoughts and experiences as someone with cancer. She knew I was working with health communication and she shared her thoughts, reflections, and parts of her story so that I could begin to understand, and so that I could share them with you. Nancy told me she saw her experience with cancer as a journey, part of the journey of her life. Nancy died recently, and I wanted to begin honoring her by giving you a chance to hear, or maybe hear again, one moment in her journey that she recalled to me in our interview about communication, an important moment for her in her relationship with her surgeon. It's one of the moments she shared with me, and it is the heart of this episode. Nancy heard the episode and she liked it. I look forward to sharing with you many of the stories and insights from my interview with Nancy in the coming months. So with enormous gratitude to Nancy and love to her family, here is a replay of our episode, Providers, Your Language May Have More Power Than You Realize. Thank you. Welcome to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication with Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Providing you with tips and strategies you can use to improve your patient engagement. I was recently speaking with a woman who has stage 3 ovarian cancer. We were talking about the language that gets used around cancer and other terminal diseases. She retold one conversation with her surgeon that stood out to her for the way her surgeon used language. She told me, quote, He said, you know it's going to get us in the end. So he said us, it's going to get us, not it's going to get you. It was a very friendly way of saying, we can keep giving you this and that, but ultimately, we're going to run out of things we can try. The only answer to that was, right, that's going to get us. The seemingly simple change of one pronoun communicated volumes to this woman. As providers, your language matters. Your words matter. Maybe more than you think. And that's what today's episode is about. Linguists, lawyers, and policy wonks can all agree on this. Language is intimately tied to power. Now, it's easy to think of how talk is power. If you're, say, an elected official, a public figure, the head of a company. But it's true for each of us every day in our ordinary conversations. Looking closely at ordinary language can show you some of its relationships to power that often go unnoticed. And if you want to make your communication count, it will help to take a look at some of the particulars. 
I'll tell you about some research in this area, and then I'll give you four particular things you can do. There are several forms of critical research used to show what's taken for granted in everyday speech and writing. This is an important endeavor in part because much of what we do with language escapes our conscious awareness. We rely on assumptions and ways of talking, listening, reading, and writing that we use almost automatically. This research has been drawing attention to what people do through language, including in health-related interactions. Researchers have been examining the relationships between language and power in healthcare by analyzing actual recorded conversations for more than 40 years. As this body of research has grown, several points have been made, and I'm going to talk about one in particular, about your power as the provider, as it relates to your language use, so you can increase your awareness and have more control over your own language and what you're doing with it. One of the ways your language reflects power is in framing, or setting out the parameters of what is talked about and how. It can be easier to notice framing when you don't agree with it. Consider the news. Whatever your favorite news source, when you listen to a different network, it can put your teeth on edge. The way issues are handled just seems ridiculous or wrong to you. But beyond the wide brushstrokes of political partisan writing, there are subtle, everyday ways that our language does similar framing work. I've written before about how linguists have shown that our language, whether we're conscious of it or not, communicates what we think is important, normal, natural, taken for granted. It encourages certain ways of thinking, discourages others, privileges certain concepts over others, and more. Now, when we're the more powerful person in a conversation, we also have more power to decide what is polite or appropriate communication and what is not who takes turns, when the conversation's over, and more. We do the framing for others, and we tacitly ask them to accept it. In the patient encounter, you, the provider, have more say in determining what's on the conversational table and what isn't. Another way of putting this, you have more relative power to make topics talkaboutable just by virtue of your position. You do more than hold sway over what's talkaboutable, though. Your language indicates how it should preferably be talked about. And you do this in all sorts of ways, embedded in your entirely ordinary, everyday patient conversations. Let me say this in a different way. Here's a sports metaphor. Linguistically speaking, in the patient encounter, you have more power to determine the playing field and to set the rules of the game. And you get the ball first. Plus you have home field advantage. And this happens every single time. But what does this look like in practice? Here are two examples from recent studies using critical discourse analysis. Studies in this tradition rely on taking audio or video recordings of actual conversations, not hypothetical conversations, and then transcribing and analyzing them. So these are quotes from practitioners in action with real patients. One study analyzed the power of the words, phrases, and metaphors used by midwives, lactation consultants, and breastfeeding mothers. 
See if you can spot how this situation is framed by a midwife to a mother. Quote, Your nipples are a bit tender because you're not used to having this little piranha hanging off them every five minutes. <laughs> the authors point out that, quote, Comparing the newborn breastfeeding infant to a fish whose teeth and jaws are destructive and whose appetite is insatiable, positions the newborn baby as potentially an enemy. Not, not a warm and fuzzy image. But this specific language use made a difference. It entered into this mother's thinking in a powerful enough way that she used the piranha metaphor herself in an interview six weeks later. Another example deals with the effects of how conversations about palliative care are initiated. In one case, researchers recorded the conversation when a physician was called to the emergency room for, quote, a consultation with a patient diagnosed with lung cancer and suffering from difficulty breathing, end quote. The physician said, quote, Hi, I'm Dr. Somto. I'm a family physician. I'm the one who helps with pain and symptom control this week. Here we call it palliative care, but elsewhere it's called differently. So I'm the one who will be taking care of you this week. This physician opened with the language of family practice, rather than of palliative care, downplaying what the authors call, quote, the label of palliative care, which is often associated with end-of-life care, end quote. Furthermore, in this opening statement, the physician frames the patient's condition as needing management of pain and symptoms, rather than needing end-of-life care. Now, what I'm talking about here has already been taken up by researchers and practitioners within clinical medicine, medical education, and public health. Here's how you can keep an eye on the power of your language, regardless of your situation or specialization. Notice those times when what you say helps get the effects you want. In other words, when something good happens, note what you said. For instance, keep track of what you said once someone really opened up and shared important information, or when you were able to move in the direction of a positive relationship. How do you do that kind of noticing? Here are four specific kind of discrete little uses of language that we all do every day that are relatively easy to spot and keep track of. One, your pronouns, like in the story from the woman with ovarian cancer that opened this episode. Two, your metaphors, like in the piranha study. Three, how you open conversations, like in the palliative care study. And four, the kinds of questions you ask. Now, I didn't use a study, they're just easy to notice. Try keeping track of just one of these four in your patient encounters, even for just one day. Keep track of what you said when things went the way you were hoping, or better. Now remember, people are different. Just because a phrase you use clicked with one patient doesn't mean it will click with another. So take the pressure off yourself to get it right every time. You're looking for patterns. You're always building relationships with patients through your language, and you only get so much time with them. The good news is, the tools to make your communication better are already in your hands. 
Recognizing your power and your word's power is what this is about. The perspective shared here can help you see the power your language has to make things seem normal and talkaboutable, including those times when your framing is problematic and maybe in need of some shifting. If you're interested in taking your language use seriously, why not start with your metaphors? I've written a workshop just for you that shows you how to break down the metaphors you use, understand their cognitive and affective aspects, and evaluate them in use. It's fast, it's on demand, and it's right on healthcommunicationpartners.com. <laughs> this has been 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication. I'm Dr. Anne-Marie Liebel. Thanks for listening to 10 Minutes to Better Patient Communication from Health Communication Partners, LLC. Find us at healthcommunicationpartners.com.